From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. Thousands of unaccompanied migrant children have crossed the U.S.-Mexico border in recent weeks, many of whom are housed in facilities across the state of Texas. President Joe Biden said in a press conference on Thursday that due to a COVID-19 health order, most families trying to cross the border would be expelled. However, unaccompanied children would be taken in. In Texas, facilities to temporarily house those children have been established in Dallas, Midland, Pecos, and Carrizo Springs. On top of immigration, this week we'll cover a package of bills in Austin aimed at helping victims of sexual assault and harassment filed by a local representative. And on Monday, all Texans 16 years and older will be eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine. So to cover all of that, Julie Fine and Gromer Jeffers will be joined by Congressman Van Taylor, a Republican from Plano, State Representative Victoria Niave, a Democrat from Dallas, and NBC5 anchor and reporter Katie Blakey, who has extensively covered the rollout of the COVID-19 vaccine. Last week, Biden named Vice President Kamala Harris the point person in charge of the surge at the border, where U.S. Border Patrol caught more than 100,000 people in February, the highest monthly number since mid-2019. Meanwhile, former San Antonio Mayor Julian Castro emphasized that children being held in the U.S., must be treated humanely. That means uh, getting them out of these overcrowded facilities uh, that nobody thinks is acceptable uh, and into the loving homes of relatives who often already live here while they wait there and their claims for asylum are adjudicated. For uh, people at the border, traditionally, it had been the United States policy to allow people to claim asylum. And Trump, fundamentally dismantled and altered how we were handling these things. I think that we need to get back to handling them um, as we had been and as countries around the world handle them and allow people to make an asylum claim. But for the longer term, it's going to take what I called in my campaign a 21st century Marshall Plan for Central America. What we want is for people to have safety, security, and opportunity at home So they don't feel compelled to make this dangerous journey to the southern border of the United States. Congressman Van Taylor represents Texas's third congressional district, which includes most of Collin County. He recently toured the K. Bailey Hutchison Convention Center in Dallas, which is being used as a temporary facility for migrant teens. Here he is with Julian Gromer. Let's welcome U.S. Congressman Van Taylor of Plano. Thanks so much for being here, Congressman. Great to be with you guys. What do you think is the best way to move forward with the border? Well, let me just say that uh, this week I went to the K. Bailey uh, uh, Bailey Hudson Convention Center uh, here in Dallas, and what I saw was a humanitarian crisis. Uh, And that's those are my words. Those are the words of the professionals uh, that have spent 30 years, their entire careers. Uh, on the border handling these kinds of surges and they've seen they've seen they've seen a surge the likes of which they have never seen before so what do you think then is the best way to move forward well we have a situation julie that is spiraling out of control uh you know, you're watching uh the numbers uh accelerate you know last week uh there were there were zero children in the convention center uh today it's almost 2300 uh, and they're having to build new facilities, uh, you know, literally of every couple days. Uh, they announced yesterday they're going to put 5,000 children uh, at Fort Bliss. Uh, I'm afraid that's going to fill up relatively quickly, like within a week or so. 
and they're going to have to build more and more and more. Um, the real the real change, the shift, and was that the border. We had some problems on the border in 2019. President Trump uh, went negotiated some some agreements that remain a Mexico policy. So when people came and asked for asylum, they were they would wait in Mexico uh, to see if they would get asylum. But now that the Biden administration changed that, and these people can actually come to the United States, uh, ask for asylum, and they get to stay in the United States legally, uh, that is accelerating into, into the greatest surge of, of, of illegal immigration in this country we have ever seen. Representative, you heard our former Secretary uh, Julian Castro. What do you say to uh, those people who believe that the former president's immigration policies, including getting rid of intake centers, has really added to the problem here. Well, actually, the, the, the president Trump's immigration policy, he actually added more judges. Uh, he added more uh, detention centers, he more, more beds. Uh, he actually increased the capacity of a Department of Homeland Security, the Health and Human Services Department, the Office of, of Refugee Resettlement, the ORR, uh, those those systems are actually the strongest they have ever been, uh, and and the issue is that is literally children are coming across the border and they're surrendering themselves to border patrol because they know once they get to border patrol, and once they say hey I, I'd like to be I'd like to turn myself in, they're going to get they're going to get three meals they're going to get a warm bed they're going to get and then they're going to get a bus ticket or a plane ticket to go anywhere in the United States they want where they then wait to be for this asylum adjudication. And so the more people that come in, and the more people are gonna keep coming. Uh, and you've got the cartels, which are down in these Northern Triangle countries, literally advertising on television. saying, let us smuggle you uh, to the border. And those cartels are actually paid cash money for delivering children to Border Patrol. That's actually the, the, the you know, hey, we, we've done our job, we've gotten you to Border Patrol, They'll take it from here. They'll get you, you know, to New Jersey or New Mexico or wherever it is that particular young young person wants to go. They'll they'll get to go there. Congressman, what about though? I mean, you just went to the convention center. While you may debate the reasons why everybody decides, well, well, the children decide to come here. Should they be treated humanely? How important is that that they're taken oh, care of once they get here? Absolutely, they they absolutely should be treated humanely. Uh, you know, and again, the Trump administration built more beds uh, to, to handle this. Those 13,000 beds are full. They're completely full. And this is why the, and the Biden administration changed the policy as soon as they got in. And they have literally created this humanitarian crisis. It's not just a humanitarian crisis, Julie. This is a, a health care crisis. You've got really serious COVID problems. And it's a national security crisis because the Border Patrol agents, instead of securing our border and stopping sex traffickers, drug traffickers, terrorists, uh, they're actually in the in these detention facilities trying to adjudicate, trying to help process all the people that are coming in. The, 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 the centers are absolutely overwhelmed. They were they were built better, stronger, more capacity under President Trump to handle this kind of surge. But again, this is a surge of the likes of which we have never seen before in this country. All right. Well, Congressman, there are also many that say we have seen surges like this in 2014 and 2019. And members of the Biden administration have said that they believe they have they have uh, a dismantled system that they have to work with. 
All right, let's switch to another topic, Representative. Guns and firearms are once again being discussed and debated in Washington following more mass shootings. Are there any gun changes you believe Republicans uh, would support? Uh, sure, we, we, I think that there are, there are some changes we should, we should absolutely look at, at considering. Uh, but let me first begin with the purpose of government is to secure our rights. Uh, and that's in the Declaration of Independence. Uh, and that guides me uh, as I think about these policy steps. Uh, but one thing is, is strengthening our database. Uh, we have a database for doing background checks. Uh, it doesn't use all the data that it could use. I think it should use all the data that's available uh, to make sure that criminals don't have access to guns. Uh, and the second thing I think we should look at doing, and I actually signed onto this bill uh, in Congress uh, just last week uh, by Congressman Quigley of Illinois, there's a bill to allow local district attorneys to prosecute criminals that try to buy firearms illegally. Uh, and I've talked to my own district attorney uh, in Collin County, and he says he would absolutely prosecute people uh, who try to buy guns illegally. Uh, and, and what's sad is that very few of those criminals uh, are actually prosecuted by the U.S. attorneys. Uh, and so I think it makes sense to try to use the local DAs uh, and I know mine would, I don't know all the DAs in the United States would actually prosecute these kinds of crimes, but I know mine would, uh, to go after them and try to stop criminals from buying guns. And on one other subject, the president is expected to introduce an infrastructure plan this week. Now, that's an area where a lot of people think you can find common ground. You are in the Problem Solver Caucus. That's a group of Republicans and Democrats working together. You think that's an area where there will be some agreement? Well, the fact that, that we need to have good infrastructure is something that uh, I, you know, I certainly agree with. And my time in the Texas legislature worked to increase transportation funding. Uh, but you know, infrastructure to me means roads. Uh, and what I've seen uh, last summer, you know, the Democrats uh, sent a $1.5 trillion package out of the U.S. House. And their definition of infrastructure uh, was you know, green energy, it was recycling, uh, it was public housing. It was all kinds of things to do, but actually very little funding uh, for roads, which is actually the most effective way uh, to move people around. And that's what Texas has actually invested in. And I think we've, we have been rewarded as a state with the economic development that comes with having uh, great roads and having great infrastructure. Quickly, Representative, can you, can you reach a deal? Can Republicans and Democrats and the White House reach a deal on infrastructure? The answer to that is yes. Uh, Republicans are, are ready, willing, and able uh, to sit down and talk about this. The problem that we've seen so far is that Republicans are, are really out of the, we're not, we're not allowed in the room. Um, and so, uh, and that was true with uh, the American Rescue Plan, the $1.9 trillion package. There were different packages, it's not as big, but that we were willing to, to work on. Uh, the Problem Solver Caucus, uh, which I'm a member of, we, we said we would be willing to do a you know, vaccination and testing package. It was a $160 billion package as a, as a starting point. Um, it, literally, we never got a call. No one, no, no one from the White House cared that we were, offering to, uh, we were offering to do a deal. When I talked to my Republican colleagues that serve on the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee in the U.S. House, and I asked them, hey, what kind of package are we looking at? They say, look, the Democrats are just not talking to us about infrastructure. Uh, they're not asking our ideas. They're not asking for our input. They're not asking our priorities. Uh, and so I'm afraid that you're going to see uh, yet another partisan package uh, go through the, the Congress and be signed by the president that, that has you know, literally no, 
no effort. I mean, literally yeah. no effort. And Representative, I, we, I, gotta, we gotta but, leave but, it there. But I'll, I'll point out that you couldn't get a deal when when the Republicans control Congress and Trump was president as well. So, Congressman well, Van I mean, Taylor, on, on CARES, we did four bipartisan packages. I mean, like I mean, we, right. we absolutely did, spent almost four trillion dollars uh, on a bipartisan basis, Grover. Okay. Congressman, we got to cut you off. We're so sorry. We're out of time. We really appreciate you joining us. Thanks so much for being here. State Representative Victoria Niave, a Democrat from Dallas, spearheaded the Lavinia Masters Act during the last Texas legislative session. It's named for a woman whose rape kit sat untested for more than 20 years. The law added money for staffing and testing, and now kits must be submitted within 90 days. Now, two years later, Niave has proposed a package of nine bills to help the victims of sexual harassment and assault. Here's the representative with Julian Groma. Joining us now, State Representative Victoria Niave of Dallas. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for the invite. Happy to be with y'all. You had great success last session passing a bill to address the backlog of rape kits. This time around, you've introduced nine bills called the Sexual Assault Legislative Package. Some address protective orders and sexual harassment in the workplace. Absolutely, and we want to continue to build on the progress of the Lavinia Masters Act, which was historic transformative legislation to tackle the backlog of thousands of untested rape kits. Because of that legislation, the backlog has been reduced by more than 80%. And we have to continue the work because we know that sexual assaults have not gone away. We know that domestic violence, unfortunately, had a significant increase right here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area during the pandemic. And we want to ensure that every survivor of domestic violence, sexual assault, sexual harassment has the tools that they need so that they can pursue justice. Um, one of those bills is specifically dealing with protective orders. It expands it and provide, gives law enforcement, it gives the courts, it gives, it gives protect uh, survivors more tools to um, be able to obtain a protective order. It expands it to human trafficking survivors. And we also try to tackle the issues uh, with respect to sexual harassment in the workplace. So the work continues. We're gonna continue to work hard all the way through session to pass these bipartisan pieces of legislation. Representative, uh, your rated legislation enjoy broad bipartisan support. Do you, uh, in fact, even on a federal level, uh, John Corn and the Senator carry similar legislation. Do you expect that kind of support for these bills? We do. This, these pieces of uh, legislation are, were, you know, they're based on years of work, visiting forensic science labs, talking with stakeholders, law enforcement, the rape survivors, uh, survivor advocates, the same nurses. And um, it is bipartisan. I'm really honored to have both Republican and Democratic joint authors, as well as the support of the Governor's Sexual Assault Survivors Task Force on these pieces of legislation. Okay, Representative, let me, let me say happy Women's History Month, by the way. Before the legislative session, women lawmakers urged that, that more women be appointed to leadership posts. Do you feel progress has been made? Absolutely. I'm honored to have made history as well as a Latina chair. Um, I'm the only Latina chair in the entire, entire Texas legislature. When we went back and did our research, there have only been five previous Latina chairs in the entire history of the Texas House. Um, and so Ima Rangel, right here from Dallas area, was one of the first. And I'm honored to be the sixth in the history of Texas. Yeah, maybe one day we'll have a, a, a woman service speaker of the house, right? 
Uh, absolutely. <laughs> we know that those things are coming. And the legislature has been working under very different conditions this year because of the pandemic. Is this having an impact on the numerous bills introduced this session? You know, it, it's, it's had an impact, I think, in the opportunity of legislators to talk more often than we normally had. But now as people are getting vaccinated, um, as we're seeing progress with respect to the COVID vaccine, uh, we're able and the work has not let up. There's still thousands of bills that have been filed and especially with the winter storm, uh, we wanna continue to work to make sure that we address price gouging, that people are not paying exorbitant prices for energy. We wanna make sure that uh, the grid is winterized. We want to make sure that this never happens again because the devastation was really, really impactful on the entire state. So uh, we know the serious issues we're dealing with. We know that we still have to get out of this a COVID pandemic into a post-COVID economy. We want to make sure that our small businesses, that businesses that are owned by people of color and veterans and women um, get the tools that they need to get back on their feet to, so that we can get back to a post, to a better economy. State Representative Victoria Niave, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for the invite. Julie took a closer look at those bills in a story she reported last week. You can find it at NBCDFW.com. Just search Victoria Niave. The state announced last week that starting this Monday, all Texans 16 and older will be eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine. NBC5's Katie Blakey took on the story from all angles, checking in on Erath and Navarro counties, highlighting a North Texas clinic registering pregnant women for a vaccine trial, and following so-called vaccine hunters as they try to track down a shot. Here's Katie with Julian Gromer. All right, well, we are super excited. Our good friend Katie Blakey's joining us today. Um, so we're happy you. to have you. I'm excited. I'm very excited. I, I feel very honored to be invited on the Lone Star Politics podcast. This is huge. Well, the thing that you need to understand, and you can ask Brian Curtis this, is once you do it once, you're in. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, Katie, you've done a ton of work lately when it comes to vaccines and vaccine accessibility. I mean, coming up this week, anybody can get it. How hard is it going to be? You know, I think it's really interesting. At the same time we're opening up the vaccines to anyone over 16, we're also getting a whole lot more vaccines into the state. And I've just noticed in my own search for looking for vaccines here in the last week, you're starting to see a lot of places open up. They have way more appointments. So I think it is going to get easier. What I worry about and what a lot of people worry about is those who are just not tech savvy, who are being left behind in this process, which we've talked about since this all first started at the end of December, 1st of January, is that there are so many people left behind because the bulk of how you get vaccines is all done online. So I think the concern is there are still people out there that we're in these initial priority groups who may still not be able to navigate this process and how do we help those people get a vaccine as soon as possible now that everyone is gonna be trying to get one. Yeah, Katie, do you see any places doing anything different or novel to help those people you're talking about? Because so, if you aren't tech savvy, I mean, you're kind of lost out there and, and, and the fear is, my fear is that people will just say, screw it and give up and, you know, I'll wait until my doc, I can go to my doctor and get it, basically. I think we've already seen that happen just because of how confusing the rollout was in the beginning that people just got frustrated with the process. 
and people got upset seeing other people who maybe didn't really qualify for a vaccine getting a vaccine and them not getting a vaccine. Um, what I am encouraged about, and I'd had these early discussions with MedStar in the very beginning, when the supply was there, they were ready to basically roll up into neighborhoods and places where people might not have access and say, we're here, you don't need an appointment, just come to the corner of the street, we've got the ambulance here, we've got nurses here, and we will get you these shots. They did one of those events last week in Fort Worth. Wow. And really the word, like they just spread the word through social media and through the media outlets saying, we're here, we're at this park, come get your vaccine. It's just a walk up. So I am encouraged that hopefully we will see more cities and communities doing events like that and just making it easy for people. And, and I think really reaching out to like your church leaders, people who are in their communities, who, who know the people in their communities who need the vaccines and try to, to work with them and get them in an easy way where they don't have to go through this long appointment process and emails and, and, and booking things online. So hopefully we see more of that. I know also some people partnering with Meals on Wheels, which I think is a great idea um, in getting some of your people who are, who are homebound. So hopefully we see more of that here in the next month. You've also done a couple of stories about counties that have don't have enough people uh, signing up for their vaccines and other counties that have more people coming from outside the county to get the vaccine. Yeah, it's so crazy. This week I did the first story where I had never encountered this problem before down in Erath County in Stephenville. They had more vaccines than they had people signed up on their wait list. And that's not an issue we have encountered in DFW at all um, in the last three months. So they were saying, hey, we have vaccines, come and get them. I think part of the issue there with was some of these smaller counties who have started to receive more doses, you have to remember for the first two months of this rollout, they got zero or maybe got 100 vaccines and that was it. So a lot of people who lived in the rural counties were going to Fort Worth or coming to Dallas to get vaccines. And now these smaller counties have them and just are trying to get the word out through their people and their community. But at the same time, People in Dallas-Fort Worth who are having a hard time are now driving to Erath County or they're driving to Corsicana because they seem to get a number of vaccines. So it's really interesting. You have people just driving all over the state um, trying to get a shot wherever they can get it first. Yeah, and, and once again, that benefits the, the tech-savvy hustlers out there who are able to, to, maybe, to identify, oh, that place that, mm -hmm. you know, we can go get a vaccine there, let's go, uh, versus the maybe the more stationary person who, who doesn't have those resources. Yeah, and then you think about public, who has time to take off a full yeah. day of work? Right. Drive to some of these places, or maybe you don't have transportation there. So it's just been this really frustrating system for a lot of people. Yeah, so what what about, um, what, what are you seeing out there, uh, the enthusiasm for getting the, the vaccine with the public at large? Do you think that, it's the, the enthusiasm is there where in a few months, maybe we, we could reach herd immunity? That is one of the questions I was thinking about um, when y'all were gonna do this and talk to me. I, I don't know, because here's the thing. I spend a lot of my day responding to viewer emails of people who are eager and wanting the vaccine and right. asking for help. So those are the people I primarily talk to. But then, you look at some of the rates and some of the hesitancy among some groups and you worry that, you know, the state's saying and doctors are saying we need 70 to 90% of the state um, that's eligible to be vaccinated to reach that herd immunity. 
And we've seen some studies come out that there might not be that much, um, that many people who want to get the vaccine. And so I worry if we will reach that herd immunity by summer, which they were hoping or midsummer or into summer. So I, I think that's really interesting. You know, we've seen even among some of the hospital systems, um, the number of people who could who got access to the vaccine in the very beginning, um, some of them have declined it. So I also think as this process has gone on, where we saw some hesitancy in the beginning, more people are signing up who were maybe hesitant back in January, February, because they are seeing, okay, a lot more people are getting the vaccine. We aren't seeing these, these issues with it like many people feared. So I, I don't know. I think that's going to be the big story going forward now that the vaccine is becoming more available to Texans. Are we going to have a high number of Texans get that shot? Katie, we were lucky to have you. But before we let you go, how's the baby? We know she's advanced. The baby is great. She's taking a nap right now. Um, so it's really interesting, though, because it's crazy. I haven't seen y'all. You know, I've seen you, what, twice, maybe, on election night? And then one other time in the studio. And so she hasn't got to meet anybody. She was born at the beginning of the pandemic. She's about coming up on a year old. Um, so it's been so much fun for us. It's been a bright light in a dark time, but I'm eager for her to get out and meet people. <laughs> and you know, Katie, you have to bring her our, our spot. And you know, Katie, we have a special spot. It's been closed since the pandemic. So when we reach that place where we can all gather and we have uh -huh. to get Julie when she's in Austin to, to meet us up there too, you know? Well, when you we get a chance to take a vacation. in Austin? We have a Katie, tell her, we have a special spot in Austin. We were on vacation in Austin. We were down there for a wedding. How many years ago was this, Gromer? This has been like four years ago? Something like that. And we were at the hotel. Which hotel were we at again? The JW Marriott. Oh, yeah. Nice hotel. And we walk into the lounge, and there is Gromer. Like, <laughs> just posted up, having a drink, having a good old time. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm jealous. So yes, we will. Well, first of all, we have to see the baby. I mean, Katie's one of my good friends. I can't believe I haven't seen the baby yet, but we're getting closer. Um, yeah. And Gromer is, is really eager to babysit. Um, <laughs> yeah, Gromer, you're my first call. When we, when my husband and I finally have a date night. Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> Fun. All right, Katie, we know we took some time from you on your day off. Uh, come join us on Lone Star Politics anytime, albeit from a very safe distance, but you are welcome on our show every time. You know how much we love you and we can't wait to see the baby. Round table, Julie. We got to get her on one. We got to get her on a round table. Yes, our round tables are fun. And once in a while, they even go off the rails, which is just amazing <laughs> on so many levels. All right. I love it. I miss y'all. It's good to see you over. Good to see you. Look forward to seeing you in person. Thanks to Congressman Van Taylor, State Representative Victoria Niave, and Katie Blakey for joining us this week. Before we go, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Lone Star Politics Podcast. Just that little bit helps us out a lot. You can stay up to date on everything related to Texas politics by visiting NBCDFW.com slash Lone Star Politics, and we'll talk to you next week.